Welcome to the Farm Team Podcast, presented by HockeyAI.tech. I'm your host, Elliot Sheen. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that this episode was recorded in Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksika, the Pekani, the Kainai, and we also acknowledge the Sutina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, the Métis Nation, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thank you. In today's episode of the Farm Team Podcast, I'm honored to be joined by fellow Merrimack College alumni, Michael Babcock III. Mike hails from Northvale, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, where he was immersed in the hockey community at a very young age. Mike played his way through the Detroit minor hockey system before progressing to the U.S. National Development Program, where he was recruited to play in the USHL with stints split between Cedar Rapids Rough Riders and the Fargo Force. After a successful college career, he earned a scholarship to play for the Division I Merrimack College Warriors in 2015, where he played an impressive 143 games and was three-time All-Academic Hockey East honoree. Entering his senior year, Mike was voted on to be the team captain and was dealt the hand of leading the Warriors through the historical and unexpected coaching transition that took place in the offseason. In 2019, Mike graduated from the program with a degree in business administration and spent the next season in Amiens, France, playing professional hockey for Les Gothiques. Mike currently resides in the Boston area and is a business development representative in the computer science and software industry. I'm excited to have him on the show today to learn more about his athletic journey and the life experiences that come along with his successful student athlete, athlete career like his. And with that, Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Sheena. Appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. So you're back in Boston. Yeah. So um, just, uh, you know, I obviously went to school out here for four years and, uh, you know, did the did my tour of duty in France for a lot better terms. But uh, no, I had a lot of uh, professional contacts and ties to the cities, uh, you know, buddies here, my girlfriend's from here too. So uh, it kind of seemed like a great place to start that next chapter. So. Absolutely. I will get into it in a bit too, because it's one of those transitions where like for me, I wanted to stay around in Boston afterwards, just because you, you do fall in love with the, you know, the city itself and the area and then mm -hmm. all those connections you make, especially if, you know, you're not looking at necessarily the NHL or a big a pro career after that. It's like, what's next? And you know, that Boston area is a, a hotbed for young recent grads kind of thing. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So you spent uh, a year over in, in France uh, last yeah. year playing, playing professional. Uh, what was that experience like and did it end just suddenly for you um honestly it was an absolute riot i oh, yeah. i couldn't have had, like a better experience uh if i'm gonna be completely honest it was um i knew kind of that i'd always thought about going to europe eventually um you know you have like all these kids that you know uh, you know during university they get to go for a semester abroad and different things like that and uh you know something i never got to do you know we, you're either training or you're skating or doing something like that um, and so for me, that was a cool opportunity to really immerse myself in someone else's culture. Um, and you know, for anyone who listens to this with, when it, in regards to France, like it's a beautiful country, the people like get a bad rep from North Americans for whatever reason. Um, I think they're very prideful people, but like when it comes to speaking English, they're not a huge fan of it. Yeah. I've heard that before. They just like, no, it's, off it's, it's wild. And it's, it's like the one country, if you're going to go play professionally, I'd say over in in Europe where like you can't get by on English. And so for me, I was really nervous about that. And my yeah. French is really poor. Um, I've actually like somebody tried talking to me in French the other day, uh, somebody I work with who's like in Europe, uh, cause she resides in France and 
I like tried to like say something and it just came out like just gibberish and it was tough. So I've lost it a bit, which is a shame, but um, no, it was cool because you know, you, you just had to stretch your comfort zone. Right. And so for me, um, you know, that put me in, you know, an uncomfortable position, but I feel like I really grew from it and uh, you know, jumped in with both feet and tried to be, you know, the best version of myself. And, you know, I was learning a little bit of the language and trying to connect with your teammates and the coaches and, stuff like that but uh no i had an absolute riot did you have other opportunities to go to any other countries and like, why did you kind of choose france is it because obviously you do speak french and you know it's a way to go over there and kind of learn more about that french culture so yeah exactly so like so like my when i say like i've spoke french i guess <laughs> three the three years i took it in high school and yeah. then basically at merrimack and this like isn't a great thing for your student athlete podcast but the way it worked was that if you had um taken any language in high school if you chose to retake that language you would automatically be in like intermediate french one not like beginners french one so i was like and i kept putting off my language until like my first semester of my last year and so i was like okay i can't i'm not intermediate so i was like intro one spanish like i'm ready to go and so like that didn't help me at all i should have took french but <laughs> It's funny how that worked out, but no, I, um, um, you know, I talked a lot with my dad. Uh, we kind of put a plan in place to, you know, put feelers out as early as possible, like even before my senior year started just yeah. to, um, to do that. And I actually knew a guy who was coaching in France. Um, and we kind of kept in contact all year. I was looking to, you know, talking to people in Germany and Denmark and Sweden, um, you know, a couple different places and, uh, nothing overly serious if I'm going to be completely honest it was just like hey I want to come somewhere and play what do you think yeah. um, and what led to happening was that the guy I was in contact with um, he wanted to bring me in and then he was let go he had a friend in the league who was coaching Namian and then I went up there um, you know just kind of like via email like all my film and stuff like that and then after that the guy gave me a call and we kind of went on a week-to-week -week basis and decided that you know it's it's a rarity to kind of know exactly what you're doing, especially in Europe in April. So yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a ride anyway, uh, signed. And that was kind of it. That's awesome. And had a pretty good uh, year. He played all the 40 games, I think. Yeah. So it was, um, it was way different than college too, right? Cause I feel like yeah. you're carrying almost 30 guys in college. So there's, um, you know, there's way more people, I guess, sitting out than professionally. So that yeah. was like, a nice change because you knew you're like, okay, where, I know where I have to stand more or less. And from an import standpoint, um, there's import rules in every single league in Europe and France is a lighter one. The, their rule is that there has to be like 10 French guys in the lineup. So it doesn't matter where they are. So you could have 10 Canadians or 10 Americans or anybody not from France, like in, in the lineup. Uh, but if you exceeded that number, uh, somebody was going to have to sit out. And so, like, I knew basically every night that unless I was hurt or I played miserable, like, I was going to get an opportunity. So, it was a cool situation for me. It's awesome. Who were the other imports? Were they guys that oh, you were familiar oh, with? I didn't know a single guy. Um, all CIS guys. There was – Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, so there was – our captain uh, played at uh, Carleton, uh, but he was, a, he was a bilingual guy, went to French immersion school. We had three guys who played at uh, the University of Calgary, go Dinos. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. so they were, they were there too. Uh, one guy was pretty much bilingual. The other two weren't, 
Um, and then kind of throughout the year, we had a couple guys come in um, and a lot of guys from Quebec uh, probably made up most, we had like four or five. And then we had one guy from Finland um, who was awesome too. So he was like, he, and he didn't know any French. So he was oh, basically, bet, yeah. <laughs> he was like a Western Canadian. Right. So I, like, <laughs> it was awesome. And it was cool too. So like the way they set up like the housing and stuff was they were like, okay, are you coming? Do you have a girlfriend? Like, is she coming with you? And I was like, I do, but she's not. So, so it was like everyone lived with their girlfriend and then it was me and two other imports like lived in like the house that they like kept for everyone. So it was yeah. like a flat there were three rooms or whatever. And so all the functions were at our place and things like that. But it was a, it was an absolute ride. Um, and you know, you really got to just enjoy just playing hockey and, you know, reflecting on a lot of different things too. So it was awesome for me. Was it the first time you were over in France? I've never actually been to Europe, so. No, I, yeah, so that was the first time I, I went to England and Scotland. Uh, my dad played in England, um, you know, kind of, I think, like, the same age I, I was, so, like, yeah. 24, 25 kind of thing. And then, um, so, like, one summer he got asked to do, like, a coaching convention or something out there. And so we did, like, a family trip and started in Edinburgh oh, and kind of drove down the coast. And that was super, super cool. And uh, so when I got back there, um, I kind of found out that we had like three different times during the year where they just shut down, uh, yeah. because they have like national team breaks. And so if you're on the French national team, you had to go, if not, you got to travel. So I got to see a couple of places too. We went to, uh, Paris for multiple days. I got to go to Vienna. I went to Alicante, Spain. Uh, we had a big trip planned at the end of the year, but COVID kind of, you know, put a damper on that. And, uh, that is what it is. But, um, yeah. but no, it was, it was so cool just to, to be able to travel with ease and immerse yourself in other people's cultures and just see how like it's so much slower over there in comparison. Like no one's in a rush to do anything, which is good and bad. Like if you want to go to the bank and get something done, like I didn't have a debit card for like four weeks. It was, that was <laughs> but I mean like things, but lifestyle is way slower, way more calm over there. Yeah. So come COVID, what did you guys end up winning the, cause those pictures that you have are pretty awesome with that trophy. Yeah. So it's like, so that's called that's the French Cup. Um, yeah. So that was like a tournament within like all of France. So there's like four different leagues in France, and we're in the top league. And so it's kind of like everyone gets thrown in into like a pool, and think of it like a March Madness style bracket, like NCAA yeah. basketball. And um, like we had to play like one extra game a month, basically, to move on. And like so, like our first two games, we played like teams from like the second and third league, and like it was like. 14 to one and like yeah. 11 one. and then we played our third game like after a break and like squeaked by an overtime against a team in our league um end up be beating a team and then like next thing you know you're in the final and it's like literally the like middle of february um and then we had like one more regular season game and then we had playoffs so like i didn't really know what to expect and like i didn't know how big a deal it was going to be and then basically we like go out for warm-ups and like the rink was where they had the world championships in Paris. Um, and like you come out and it like there, you can't even like, if you're a fan, you couldn't even move. Like there's just like out to the right is like all like yellow and black for the, the other team and all to the left. It was all like red and black for us and the horns and then like the drums and stuff. And it was like, we wanted to shoot out. It was absolutely wild. I, I will not live as long as I was supposed to. I'll take 10 years off from that game, but yeah. it was such a cool experience and got to do all that um, stuff after, but then it was back to reality because we had like a regular season game and then yeah. played like six games in our playoff series. We lost the first two in overtime, won the next three, we're on the road and there was a COVID outbreak in the town and they're like, get on the bus, we're leaving. Shit. And basically what happened, no, I swear to God. And then, um, we were 
to cancel that game. They were going to move game six to our facility. Then they didn't want them coming. And then they were like, okay, the other team is down three to two in the series. You guys are done. Like the Gothics, you guys can move on. And we were like, okay. So we're like preparing to go on like for the next round. And then like, obviously they like made a fuss about it and rightfully yeah, so. I say, yeah, I'd be pissed. So, like, yeah. I, I would, I would have been so choked. And then, like we were about to get on the bus and they're like, yeah, we're not leaving. We're playing like game six and maybe seven at like a neutral site. And at that point, every single league around us were shutting down. And so like yeah. they popped everything else and we were kind of like, okay, like it's going to happen. Right. And we had everything to lose and they had everything to gain. And like, we didn't play well. I won't lie. Like I think a lot of guys shut it down for the year um, and they ended up winning both games. And then that night we got back and I got a call at like three, three in the morning from my parents. And they're like, Hey, uh, presence closing the border you're on a flight tomorrow so i had to pack up pretty quick and then i left and that was that yeah because my buddy was saying in alps the same thing it was like all of a sudden the president of his team called him and it's like hey plane's leaving in two hours so pack your bag kind of thing right and it's it's wild and it was it had nothing to do with like our team like Mm -hmm. i left and they had like a team meeting about wanting guys to like do different things before they left and i had to like call the gm and be like listen i'm at the airport i don't know what you want to do um but it was it was just so weird and so wild and like for how great a year it was and how like awesome the people I got to be with and like Tava just like stopped and I didn't really know like what, how it was affecting the U S in Canada because like, again, like I was on the flight and then I got off and you know, you like, it's like on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And all I see is like all these guys that follow this up like college hockey, they're like, Hey, didn't want to end this way. Didn't want to end this way. Didn't want to end this way. And I was like, what's going on? And Yeah. Me neither. Fuck. So it was, it was, um, but yeah, it was, it was a wild time like to come home and then there's just the fear of the unknown, right? I got off the plane. I was like, I might have to like stay in a hotel for 14 days. And um, luckily I got to go home. There was no issue there and I had no way at the airport. So um, no, it was pretty fortunate. Was home Boston at that point then or were you going no, back so, to- uh, so I, I was, I had back to Detroit. Um, yeah. So we, that's kind of home base for us. Um, yeah. My older sister, works there and lives there um still so uh she was living at like our house at that time and then she just got a place but uh for that time it was just me and her um and so like she had and she's in healthcare so it was so like so much like anxiety about it right so like she was on one floor and like i was in the basement and like stayed apart for a bit and then after a while it was yeah especially coming back from france in the hot like the hot zone or at that point right i think it was a big breakout in that point it, it, it was wild too. And that, like, that was the thing I remember, like, again, I got a call at three, three in the morning and they're like, get on a flight. And so I had to leave like for the airport at like nine. And I was like, I, like, I called my sister. I was like, I don't have a mask. Like, where do I get a mask? Like yeah. this early in the morning. And it's like, it's like French stores don't open for forever. Like they open at like 10 o'clock and she's like, Oh, you don't need one. And like, no one wore a mask on my plane. That's Everyone was just, too, yeah. What, so like and then like we got back and then like three days later they were like you need a mask like yeah mask up everyone exactly and that's how it's been since right so yeah well yeah so you get back and i mean that must have been i mean obviously just time must have flown by at that point and then you're sitting there you know back home in detroit figuring out what your next step is was retirement like kind of a, on the your mind at that point or were you looking to play another couple seasons it was it was an interesting year for sure. I think I was extremely happy with how my experience was. And I think what having a lot of off time as opposed to being like in college when you have such a structured schedule and you're going to class and like you don't have any free time, um, realistically, 
Um, yeah. It was just, there was a lot of time for reflection. So like we would go for walks every day, you go for a coffee, you talk about, and guys would talk about what they're doing, what they weren't all the time. And uh, for me, I knew that I would have been very content if that was my last year. And I think winning the French cup kind of sealed the deal for me. Um, and I think just for me at the time, my life and, you know, a couple different things, it was just, uh, you know, it seemed like the right time to make a transition. And I knew that I'd already taken the long route my whole life. Like, you know, you play years of junior and then you go to college, you graduate 24, you're going to start your a real job at 25. Like, I mean, for me, there was no rush. And so that's kind of why I was, you know, hopeful going into the summer, I, I said, I really don't have to have anything till like the end of the summer, like for me to not like freak out. And then I think COVID helped a lot with that too. Yeah, uh, right. Justifies so, it kind of. Yeah. So, but it, uh, but no, it was awesome. I got to, I was home for the longest I've ever been home since I was like living there, like at 18. So uh, I was home from basically middle of March through like the August long. Yeah. So, like, chunk of time but it was great i loved it yeah i mean i kind of got that same sense like i was living in the u.s for a while and i finally i moved back to calgary 2018 and that's the sense i got as soon as i got back i'm like fuck i haven't enjoyed like calgary or lethbridge with with this kind of perspective on it uh, and which was now is like a refreshing thing right and you, you really do kind of realize what home meant to you no exactly and i think that was cool about and part of the reason why um for me, like I loved going back in the summers, but like my, my, my life was, I get six days at Christmas and then I'll yeah. have a couple of weeks in the summer and then I'm back at school or like that. And that was, uh, you know, part of it. And so for me, it was all about always hanging with the family. Like I wanted to yeah. do, like, I just wanted to be home. I wanted to, you know, see a couple of bodies like every now and then a couple of people you run into and like over time, I mean, I'm, you know, I was, I was here, there all over the place. Like, uh, you know, just looking at the old hockey DB early prospects or whatever, but like, so like you lose touch with a lot of people too, but I still have buddies that, you know, you work out with and skate with that you see in touch with. And, uh, for me, it was just always about being around the family. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that off season team. Right. And get to yeah. enjoy that too. So, yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. Babs, I'm excited to kind of talk to you about like your hockey experience and journey through Merrimack. I mean, obviously we kind of didn't really overlap, but had similar types of roles i guess on on the team uh with yeah. coach dennehy there and all that so i guess just for the listeners you know, for my own interest uh what's like detroit modern hockey and like uh high school hockey in michigan like and what was their experience for you like it was i think i just you didn't know right like especially early on so like i moved around a bunch and i went from literally from playing like in southern california which is now like a feeder like there's a yeah. lot of kids that were like right around my age and right younger that have, that have like made it like a well-known place and there's kids going to college and pro and whl and everything like that um but it was like i was i was eight and nine so like you don't really know who you're really going to develop and then when i went to detroit it like literally was like triple a free agency every like the day after like it, it they, they treated it like a business and like it's yeah. it was wild and i was like I, it took me a bit to get like, you know, like acclimated with like the tempo and things like that. Like I wasn't a really good minor league player or minor hockey like player for probably a couple of years. And then like, it started to pick up a little bit, like, and then it's a weird time too, right? Like kids are growing. So like the best kids are like five foot nine, like five foot nine, six foot at like 11. And like, I'm not a behemoth. Uh, I don't know yeah. what the zoom camera shows, but I'm like five foot nine, depending on how like much I jelly put in my hair kind of thing um but uh but yeah so that was like the triple a system and i didn't really know any better um that was just like i was 
good enough to play. So that's yeah. what we did. And, um, and then basically what happened is I got on like a really good team for like my Bantam years and we were like really tight. We had good coaches. Um, Craig will Yeah. So we played for the little Caesars. Uh, Craig will was our assistant coach. He got like drafted third overall in the NHL. Uh, his son, Christian plays in Ottawa. He was on my team. Great kid. Uh, we got a, we had another kid, uh, another defenseman. His name's Corey Schooneman. I think he's playing in Stockton right now in the A. Like, so we had some players and, um, it was a good, it was a really good group. And basically what happened was I entered high school. I went to like a Catholic private school and I had this one math teacher who's an awesome guy, but he was very adamant on like, we have a quiz every Friday. Yeah. And if we're going to drop your lowest grade, if you miss it, if you miss one, it's a zero, that's your lowest grade. So if I like missed every weekend for triple a, like I was not going to pass the class. And so there was days where, and it was weird too, because we had like this rotating schedule where it was like one through eight on a Monday. And then like Tuesday, it was like two, three, six, four, five, seven, eight, one. Like if I showed you, it'd make way more sense, but it like it just so you had like classes at different time, except the lunch yeah. period. And so I had this like period three. Um, and so some days it would be like in the morning. So I'd be able to take that exam and like leave. And other days it was the last class. So I would miss two games in like Chicago or something. Right. And so that oh, yeah. so that got a little tough yeah so it, so it was good for me because i was fresh but i mean like yes. six games on the weekend to playing like four or five and yeah. you know feeling like you're letting your team down and it kind of got to a point where we had a really good high school program and the coach was really good and um you know him and i had talked before and you know i decided that i'd take give that a shot and at this point like like i like would have loved to have played college but like i wasn't it wasn't even on my radar like at this this point so and then just got to play high school and I was there for three years and um, like literally just had a ride. We got to practice all the time, uh, which was cool. And then we play on the, the weekends and, you know, like yeah. all the, I was again, all guys school. So all the fellows would show up and they'd be over here. And then like the other team's fans would be over here. And then all the good looking girls and the moms and the dads would be in the middle. So like you're trying to put on a show all the time. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, and then after that, I got, I got drafted in the USHL and I like, I, somebody texted me like, Hey, you got drafted. I was like, what? I, and it was just, I like, I, again, not even on my radar. Like I talked to a couple teams, but like, yeah, like it was like seven, 80 picks or something. So I was like, okay, what's the odds? And then I think I went like the fifth round to Cedar Rapids or sixth round or something like that. And that was it. That's awesome. So you said college wasn't on your radar at that point going through like uh, high school, I guess you probably started getting a little more familiar with the route to college and versus like a yeah. major junior route, eh? Yeah. So I, sh- I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said it like that. What I meant yeah, yeah. is that like, I didn't know if I was going to get the opportunity. Like, so yeah. like as soon as I moved to Michigan, like the university of Michigan's right down the road, they got the, like I walked into Yost arena the first time and I was like, I want to do this. Like, this is the yeah. coolest thing. Fans, there's fans. Like, For sure. Yeah. And, and like, the hockey's hard. Like I remember like my first, like when I was 10, I think Jack Johnson was there and you like go into a corner and the guy's got a stick in the air and he's elbowing guys. And I loved it. That was great. Um, but I also was going home to Saskatchewan every summer with my family and you know, you're 13, 14. And then like kids start wearing Portland Winterhawk helmets cause they got drafted. And then you got guys yeah. going to Kamloops and Moose Jaw and you're wearing a, a cage. Like, and when you're 18, it's not as cool. Right. And so I knew what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And just the path I wanted to take. Um, but, uh, yeah, that really kind of started to come into fruition after that. My second year of high school, my first year playing for that team. Yeah, and looking back now, it seems like that math teacher kind of 
did you a favor in a way because math is a huge piece of this, right? So and that yeah. set you up academically to that's what saved me to get into school was my math. I ended up retaking it in grade 13, but if I didn't have that chance, I wouldn't have been able to, to go. So. Yeah. And I, I like, I was always a good student. Um, there wasn't any issue that way, but like the high school I went to, like it, you were doing three hours homework, like every night, like, really? not, it, but like, and like, it was a, it was a school where you had, you had eight classes a day or seven classes a day. And every teacher thought that that was the only class I had. Oh, yeah. um, that's what they pride themselves on that you would be prepared for college so like i i was used to studying and i created really good habits and like note taking and different things and like i knew that if i was in a history class like i had to write down everything that i said because it's it's going to be like essays like if i was in a math class like if i worked through the problem and i got to the finish line i probably got it right you know yeah. like that was just but that's how it formed and for me like when i went to merrimack after two years off, I was panicked. I was like, I have to yeah. do well in school, like, kind of thing. And then, but I just remember, like, how, like, it was such an easier transition than I thought it was going to be. And a lot of that was because of the high school I went to. That's great. I mean, that's, again, that's a great piece of advice, too, is high school can do that for you, set you up for success. And they do talk about, you know, we're trying to make it as hard because the next level at university is way different, whatever path you go on so yeah and it's it's interesting too because you don't really realize till you get there but like yeah there's a there's it's not that there's babysitting in high school but they're on you kind of like your parents like hey you got to do this you got to do this you got to get your 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 stuff and you got to do this you got to and then like you get to college and like they they don't care they're like all right well i'm getting paid no matter what so like if you want to fail by all means if you want to pass i'll do it for you like no one's trying to fail you but you they don't if you have to show them that you want to work and so that was, a, I think that's a big wake up call for people like their f- for first midterm of a freshman year. And then they're like, oh, like full panic mode after that. But then they start to figure it out. And it's, um, the transition wasn't as bad for me. And I'm really thankful for that. No, that's great. Yeah. It's one of those things are for me, it was like Denny, he just telling us like, you better go to class. You better not miss. Cause in the first year you kind of had to go to that study hall. Don't miss study hall. So that yeah. he was telling me that I was like, okay, well, fuck, I got to do something right here. So no, exactly. And I think he was, he was really good about, um, we never had study hall. He thought it was counterproductive for us just because like it turned into the social hour. So we had to, have, we had biweekly meetings with him our whole first semester. And then if you were like lower than a certain GPA, you had to keep meeting with them. And that was for everyone on the team. Like, um, so if your GPA was a certain level, didn't matter how old you are, you were going to his office twice a week to see how you were doing. And that held everybody accountable in the classroom. Um, the other thing too, is that like I took business, like you said, and we had a lot of guys who had been through my program. So very helpful. Hey, this person, like, maybe it's you're going to learn a lot but maybe stay away if you if you know you're going to miss like a lot of games once sem- a lot of classes one semester for games uh this person has a really good relationship with hockey players don't screw it up for the next guy but take your class like that was kind of how we operated and you know we tried to do the exact same for the younger guys as well yeah that's great it's you know denny he have been i think probably at least 10 years into his stint there at merrimack at this point like he's developed those relationships on campus too to really help the students out and you know if that's if he can get the, the for us anyways the hockey team to be that role model call it in the in that in the classroom you know that was he prided himself i think more on that than what, what the product was on the ice yeah well i think it was very interesting and like even like through my visit like you you know just like you're because you're interviewing them too right and so for me like i knew like I, there was a huge comfortability level like his morals and priorities really lined up with how i was raised too so that was like comfortable 
Yeah. And like every time we had a game, his family was there. Every time we had like a skate afterwards, like, like his whole family was there, like cousins, like he was calling, asking, he'd like say, Hey, how's your like third aunt, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. Like it was, um, another, another example, like right, right before I came to school, it was in, uh, is like the April, uh, right at the, right at the end of March, beginning of April, like my last year, junior, before I went to school, my, my dad's dad passed away and they, he sent flowers like okay. on behalf of me. So like, that's like, like a lot of people that I like like people are like, come on, like that's ridiculous. But that's just the type of guy he is, right? So for sure, for yeah, he takes it upon himself to to do that, and he he knows he he values that relationship, even if it's just a short stint with someone or a long term, you know, coaching for four years. It kind of treats everyone the same, which is great. So let's get into that. So you get drafted to the USHL, and then obviously now there's a couple NCAA opportunities for you. What ultimately sold you on the Merrimack program? It was a wild, it was a wild experience. Like the yeah. whole journey. I had, again, it didn't really heat up till, um, I'd say like going into my last year of high school, I started, I went to like an, like a, uh, a USA hockey festival, um, which is kind of what they do here. And that was like to pick the Halinka team. Um, yeah. like Canada sends a U18 team, the U S they already have an under 18 team. So like, and they don't send those kids. So it's like a tryout for everyone else. Um, so I went to that. Um, and it was like a week long thing. I ended up having to leave early cause I like, pulled my hamstring uh, on a freak play. And then like kind of that fall, like I started to get like way more buzz. Um, yeah. Curtis Carr called me. Um, yeah. I talked to a couple other schools and he wanted me to come out and, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'll come out. And then I ended up getting a concussion. Um, and so that kind of delayed a visit. And then like three weeks later, I got a call from the, the national team there. Cause it was 20 minutes from my house. They're like, Hey, listen, we got a guy down. You want to come in? And I said, yep, absolutely. Okay, yeah, my concussion was cured. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, uh, but I was good at that time. Like, yeah. you know, disclaimer, like I was, it was, so I was ready to roll. And so that delayed the visit. And then, um, they had stuff going on and it, one thing led to another. I played junior after my season. So like it, it ended up being pushed back to April. I'd gone on a visit to Western Michigan and I really thought I was going there. And yeah. basically my talks with the coach was I got to go on this visit. Cause I told him I would. And they're like, yeah, we respect that. They're really good people is what they always said. Really okay. Um, and like, I'm finally coming out and I'm going, I'm leaving on a Friday. So it's like that Monday and I like come upstairs and there's like a TV on and the news is going and like, like there was the Boston Marathon. Oh, the, yeah, okay. So like I was like, oh yeah. So I was like, oh my god, like this is one terrible. And I don't really think I knew the magnitude of it until I like actually got to go to school here and talk to people about it. Yeah, because you've always asked about your visit and stuff, and um, and so I like literally like my phone started ringing that night, and it was Curtis Carr, and he was like, yeah, um, we're still planning on you coming. Like it's we'll let you know if anything changes, but like like you're going to be on campus. You're going to be 45 minutes away. You'll be safe. Like everything like that. And we clear with my parents and they're like, yeah, like whatever. And, um, I remember Mark called my dad or my mom and he was like, yeah, I'll never forget what your mom said. She was like, he's got a cell phone. He's got a credit card. He's at the airport. He's probably safer than most people. He's going to be fine. She was like, he was like, you know what? I can work with that woman. Like kind of thing. <laughs> so I went, I did my visit and, also did like people kept saying this same thing to me like oh he came best weekend of the year he came best week in the year and i couldn't really figure out why and then it turned out to be spring weekend 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was like it was like the perfect storm, right? And so yeah. we like wrote a concert at the rink, um, and yeah, the short version, there's like people freaking out about different things. Somebody knows somebody in police, and you're getting the scoop, and you don't really know. And then they announce that they found the guy, and then like everybody just like flat, flat, and it was a full on like it was full on riot basically. Like yeah. everyone, like, but it was it was cool because it was like it was a very community thing. Like they're like, you got Canadian and Finnish guys on the team, like doing USA chants and like people are like in the back quad, like, um, hugging, like crying. Like I would, I didn't really know what was going on. Like to be completely honest, there was so much emotions about it, but it was, it, it was like, you're in your own part of the world. And then like, obviously I got to meet all the guys like, um, Mikey Collins was awesome to me. Um, I'm trying to think of all the guys that would have been there you played with. Uh, Biggs would have been there. Biggs was there. He was the, he, like, the scariest, nicest guy in the world. He is right. like a very mountain of a man. So he was real scary. I was glad I didn't have to practice against him ever. Um, but yeah, just a bunch of really good guys. And like, it was yeah. so fun because all, like, all the guys that were freshmen, I got, like, I hung out with my whole visit and they were my seniors. And like, I walked in the first day and I felt like I was like, tight with the guys already so it was great yeah that, that must have been a nice feeling too eh? just walking in there like already having a little bit of relationship with a couple of the guys and you can really yeah. jump right into it because like you said you kind of get into those like right into captain's practices so now you're competing with those other 30 guys to you know shine until the coach comes out and- yeah absolutely and it was it was interesting so like i was like when i was 18 and then they brought me in for another visit when i was 20 and then you got to meet way more of the guys that you're going to be playing with so it was basically yeah met everybody except the guys that you were coming in with if you hadn't already met them um and so when i came in and it was like oh babs what's going on like hey man and so i felt super comfortable anyway and i was like i'm a pretty outgoing guy anyway so it wasn't too big of an issue making friends and then you just kind of walk in and you're doing summer workouts in class and stuff like that so you're pretty immersed in it but like the way they set it up is you go in in july you take two courses so you get comfortable academically you work out with uh coach kamal so he, you know, puts you through the ringer and gets you up to speed. And then you're like that much more ready to go once like Labor Day is over. So um, it was a great, it was a great experience. I felt super comfortable right away. And um, at that point, you're just, you know, you're trying to make the lineup. Yeah, right. It's It was really, I mean, that's great that you, that you went for spring weekend. Like you can't get a better weekend out of there, like you said. Like, because it, it, it's a, a whole, that once you get into like the U.S. college, like climate and understand what that kind of weekend's like and what the party scene can be it's 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 a huge thing for for a young guy looking to go to school yeah and like that wasn't like i got a another disclaimer that was not the deciding factor like i didn't yeah. really know the spring weekend until like yeah. like later on and like it was it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun um it was cool though but it was like like I, I'm from, I'm from a town, like a town that's 20 minutes away from a big 10 school and an hour away from another big 10 school. Like they're, it doesn't matter how cold it is. They're outside, they're having fun. They're doing whatever they're tailgating, like things like that. And like realistically at Merrimack, that's not a huge thing. There's, there's homecoming weekend and then there's spring weekend. And that's how, when people are constantly out. And so for me, that felt more normal. So I was like, okay, yeah. like this. And people were like, hey, man, like, it's not like this every weekend. And I was like, yeah, I get that. But, I mean, there was a lot of other things, too. And a lot yeah. of the deciding factor came down to, you know, the relationship I thought I could have with the coaches, you know, their envision of me and my envision of me lining up, both the timeline and where I felt I would fit in. And um, just, like, smaller classroom size, I thought I could really connect to my teachers one-on-one and they'd be able to, um, you know, 
give me the benefit of the doubt if you know you need to go jump up from an A minus to an A, or if you're missing a day kind of thing because you know you have the, you're at a road game. Um, so yeah. I thought you know, that was really important as well. Yeah, especially in that business program, the the professors already have dealt with so many hockey players that you, as long as you go to their class and show up and work hard, they you know take kind of take you under your wing too. And also too, like the big sell for I'm sure you is playing in hockey East, like playing against some of those schools was like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, exactly. That was that was huge. I mean, obviously, um, you know, what in 2013 it was like the premier conference. Like there was no question about it. This was before the Big Ten and the NCHC formed. And I think sure. of late, it's I you know probably nationally it's been like the NC the NCHC and Big Ten are probably one and two, and hockey East is third. And it's a shame because it's it's so competitive all the time, and it's our goal was to always get points every weekend and it's hard. Like you you are earning your ice bags. Like there are national contenders every single year. And it's, and I'm sure like people, everyone who goes to whatever conference they go to, they think it's the best thing or with same with the school. It doesn't matter. But like, if you gave a, if it was a bigger pool, for example, like it literally could, it could be anybody from any conference, which is wild to think, but it's, there's some good players and there's good programs. There's always teams that surprise you too, so it's 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 awesome. So you had a decent first year. Had I think what three goals and five assists, maybe. Yeah, I uh, I noticed on a couple of the other ones that you usually have their stat line like on the videos, and I <laughs> well, I'll be putting that up for sure. Don't you worry. Yeah, okay, so just so anyone who's seeing this at this point now, <laughs> you've already seen it. Please don't look at my plus minus, and I was not a point production specialist by any means, uh, but. My big goal my whole freshman year was that, I like, you're just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and you want to be important. Like, you're the low guy on the totem pole, and how are you going to fit? And, uh, you know, one of your recent guests, uh, Clayton Jardine, was the third-line center when I was – the year before I came in. And that whole yeah. line left. So I knew there was a position to fill. And I thought part of the reason why I got to play a lot in my class was that there was a lot of guys who – had been top six guys or top pairing guys and things like that. And I had done both. And like in junior, I was a third line center and I took pride in that and being a matchup center and stuff like that. So there was a niche for me if I, you know, proved it. And so that was a conversation me and coach Jenny had from like day one. And, um, you know, I was basically the fourth line center all year until February. And then we, you know, I got on a line started to get hot and we ended up becoming the third line and, got to play all the time and it was it was it was a good situation for me my goal was to just make sure I played I didn't want to get scratched two nights in a row and I got to play every night so that was uh, I missed one game from an injury in playoffs which was which was tough uh me and coach Jenny. yeah um I had like a hematoma in yeah. my leg so like and like played on it the rest of the game and uh we got in a pretty good argument uh <laughs> on the bench and after the game about me playing um so i missed the second game or the third game which was like a best of three series so i was yeah. so nervous all game but i got to play the following weekend which was good so did you guys uh you beat unh that year right that first year yeah, so yeah beat- we, beat we, were not, we lost the first game won the next two the second game was in overtime and then yeah. we beat them uh they had no gas to be completely honest like watching the game but it was still nerve-wracking like it was too close right. and then we went to Providence and played two really tight games, like two to one both nights. And like, I live with a guy who um, 
you know, we were teammates for four years and roommates and stuff um, right now. And like the amount of times he's been like, man, like if we just like, we're right there. We're right <laughs> right. there. Like, you know, and it's, but that's everybody, every year, yeah. every program. And like, that was, that was the year that came off having, they, they just won the national championship. They won like 10 games in a row. Um, like to start the year, started like the first half undefeated. Um, Jake Wallman was on their team. Yeah. Um, he was like, there was a huge dispute about whether he was going to be on the Canadian world junior team or the American world junior team. And he actually got hurt against us. Like it was like, oh, really? like there's, there's a bunch of stuff and like, they were so good. And we ended up playing them in playoffs, like just licking our lips, like yeah. trying to get, and you know, we played them really hard and it, it was just unfortunate how it ended, but like they had a really good team. Yeah. They played hard in that rank too. Like that gray and black and white rank. It's just like mind numbing to go to, but yeah, it's, it's a great it's place to play. The lighting's weird. It's like when you watch, like, uh, like if you watch, like, San Jose play at home, like, for whatever reason, the lighting in the rink just, like, it looks like something's wrong with the TV. And that's how it is in that rink. It's, like, a weird grayish light. And they play so hard. Like, my oh, first yeah. – I always told people, I was like, man, like, like you play hockey games, and it's, like, every every weekend. And when you play Providence, it's, like, you got – it's just – it is – they play so hard and they're so disciplined and they do everything the right way. And they're just like, they, it just, they're so tough to play against. There's no space. They don't like, you can't get to the net. Like you just are covered in bruises and ice bags after the game. Like it's, but it's so much fun. Like for sure. That was uh Nate Lehman still coaching. I think he stayed for another year, right? Yeah. yeah what, so another well-coached team. Really good. He's, he's probably, um, I would say he's probably, if not the best, like top three coaches in the conference continually. Um, He's got a really good program. He makes the guys work really hard and they really buy into their system. Um, So he's, and like, like just won the world junior with, with the U S and, you know, so so you can, you, you know, you shoot show that you can do it with like a group that you're around all the time. And then you only got, little time in a pandemic year with a lot of skilled players to get them to buy into positions that they probably don't want to, um, or normally are used to. So like, that's a testament as well. So he's, he's a guy for sure. I think would probably get an opportunity moving forward. Um, if he decides to take it and obviously it's gotta be the right one. For sure. Is he still in Providence to this day? Yeah. He's been there for, I think he got there like early 2010s. Like, I think. Uh, yeah. I want to say like, not my first year against Providence, but like right around that time, he, he mm-hmm. t- took the reins of the head coach. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's also, so overall pretty good first year, and then second year, third year, kind of walk us through that. What was like the main difference? Did you have a, a confidence boost coming into the sophomore year? Or did you kind of like feel like still, you know, you're trying to find your rhythm? No, I, I was really comfortable to be honest, and for whatever reason, um, like. I just like my first two years, I just started really slow from a, like a point stand, uh, standpoint. And it's, it's interesting too, because like, you know, you're, you're not coddled your freshman year, but you can get away with a lot of stuff that like, they're like more understanding. And we had eight guys in our freshman class next year had seven. So there's like, we're a young team, but they're still vetting seven guys. And like, it's, it's no different than when you get a dog. If you have a dog already that you've had for eight years, it's loyal. It's going to do the right things. It's not going to like tear your shoes apart or anything like that. But like when people come over, oh, they're, oh my God, it's the new puppy. And that's at every level. It's at, yeah. there's a star rookie. They're all over it. And like, I remember talking to my dad about it. He's like, just like, they always come back to the old dogs. And so 
there was a lot of times I went from like, starting really high in the lineup and then like six games in, like I was like the fourth line left winger. And I was like, am I going to get bounced? Like what, like, just tell me if I'm not good enough, you know, that kind of thing. And I, and so that point, like, you know, you just keep putting your nose to the grindstone, keep plugging away, stuff like that. And I think, um, you know, that was, that was a good learning experience for me. And for whatever reason, I, I got, you know, put with a couple different guys like halfway through the year and we clicked and we took off like, and then, you know, the points started to come and we started to match against everybody. I went from being a, you know, a center my first year to being like uh, a four check and left winger, like in everybody's grill. Like, and so yeah. that was awesome. And then kind of the same thing happened junior year. I started with the same guys and that was a really like our team just didn't score and that was supposed to yeah. be like there's a lot of pressure from the inside because like on paper that was the best team we were supposed to like have ever had like yeah. and we were we just didn't get it done and we couldn't score and there was a lot of different things that were going on we finished way worse than we thought um there are highs and lows to the season i think i had like three points that year and i just like one of them was a goal like in like a deciding playoff game against lowell like but like it was like like you so see, you had two points in the regular season and like one in the playoffs, and uh, we ended up losing to BC um, in like two tight games. Like we all played them bad. And, this is junior year, right? Yeah, and yeah. then it was just it, so that was gut wrenching too because that's no different than the Providence series, right? Like you're yeah. you're one away from the two wins from the Garden is basically the goal, right? And so you're close, but um, but yeah, we thought we were the better team that week, and unfortunately, we weren't. Yeah, that's. I mean, like you said, you missed some valid points there about you know, you kind of have to figure out a different role throughout the season. If you want to play, like, you you know, be a first line or uh, at least a four checker, F1, get in there and, you know, get in guy's face. So it's it's cool how you can kind of morph your game throughout the, the college career into different areas, you know, PP and a PK and find well, exactly. a rhythm and enjoy it. Exactly. And I, like, I knew I was a PK guy yeah. from the moment I got on campus and that was going to be my thing. And if I got power plays, it was either going to be scraps of the five-minute or <laughs> yeah, we playing, either we were up or we weren't playing well those were like the only times I was getting on the power yeah. play um, but no I talked to I talked to the team um, you know the Merrimack guys this past summer um, our coach had asked you know me to kind of do a zoom with them and talk about different things they want to do guest speakers or whatever and like they kind of left me to the floor and I was trying to think about like different things that made me successful and I I knew exactly who I was like yeah. I, I, if you, again, if you're reading this and you're looking at my stat line, you know that I was not going to probably play in the NHL, but I knew that I could maximize my potential. So like I had foundational pillars that I knew that no matter what I was going, like what kind of game it was going to be, everybody, including myself knew exactly what they're going to get from me every single night. So that was like, I, I work extremely hard and that's noticeable. I can skate like crazy. So if I was going to make a mistake, I was going to do it moving a thousand miles an hour and you know very competitive i was going to be a good teammate yeah you cross the line every now and then but you apologize you own it and then um and like you're coachable so like what i learned over time and this is like you know that's from a young age all the way to now is that if you like take away like the tone of like feedback and it doesn't matter if it's good or bad it's just going to be good like if you read it on a piece of paper in a book for example, and there was no tone behind it. There was no exclamation points, no punctuations, anything like that. All you'd get is the message. So that helped me once I wrapped my mind around that, it just turned in that everything was like someone was trying to help me one way or another. And so that was something that was really good for my development. And that was something when, you know, in my pillars that I knew that I could really bring forward. 
Yeah, it's cool. I mean, that just taught me something too. And I, if you can think of it that way, that's kind of like how I, you know, maybe dealt with the feedback too. Just, you, you got to take the emotion out of it, but you know, he can phrase it to someone like that of, you know, take mm-hmm. it off the, the voice, write it down, read it. Uh, mm-hmm. It might be a way different way you kind of perceive that message. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think nobody likes being told what to do. It doesn't matter yeah. you know, who you are at what level or anything. And like, it's just, but you have to, I think what people really mistake with, and again, like I grew up with a coach, so like I know how coaches are and I know like what, why they do like certain things and why they say certain things. And I know why like it gets on players nerves and sometimes they're just trying to, but all the time they're trying to get the best out of them, but it always comes from a place with love. Um, And so for me, if like, usually if the coach stops talking to you, whether they're, you know, like talking like this or they're yelling at you, they probably don't care about you anymore, which is a bad sign. Like, so like if they're like, like Paul McLean used to work for my dad, he worked in Ottawa. Now he's working in Toronto. Like if he used to say like, if I stop yelling at you, like, I don't care about you. Like, so that's a bad sign. Like, like, you know, so I mean, that's, that's, that's just, you know, something guys have to, and guys and girls and kids and adults, they have to, it doesn't matter if you're playing sports or, you're working professionally, like you have to be able to take feedback and you, you have to know when it's the right time to give it to. Um, and that doesn't matter if you're talking to someone who's, um, you know, lower on the totem pole than you like professionally, or you're talking to someone who's more senior as well. Yeah. It goes both ways, right? It goes with everything. So that's kind of a good segue into, did you guys do the program at all through your career? Oh, yeah. yeah like, oh. To me, that's kind of where I had to like, that because that in your face feedback like that was like the first time in my life I've ever experienced anything like that. But at the same time, just watching everyone else on the team go through that eye opening experience too, it's like a it was a team of bonding thing for me, anyways. Did you guys do the water one? We did, like, yeah, in Dorchester. Thank God we didn't do that. So no. for anyone listening, the program is a is it's a leadership building um, like conference more or less so they'll go into businesses and they'll go into teams and they'll have you for a couple days and they'll talk about you know different things and when and try to you know bring out like leadership skills into a lot of people and put you through like adversity so when you're in the office it's probably nothing like anything that you know you and i had to do drinking coffee (laughs) yeah when you're on a team and you play at at merrimack there are certain things that they decide that you know you're going to be a navy seal for two days and my first year it was the like I had no idea what to expect at all. And they, like we were doing, we had, uh, we went to a pond, we were doing like the sugar cookies and boat races and stuff like that. And that ended up being really fun. But like the amount of calisthenics that we had to do, like, like you got sand all over you. We had to take an oar with us and like, they were going to try to steal it. And it was, you're going to have four in the morning to do this stuff. Like it was wild. And they're like in your grill. Like you're literally think that you're like doing, you're at buds and like that. And it's not even close. Anybody's listening to this in the military. Like I have the utmost respect for everything that you guys have done and everything that you've gone through. But this was our little military for a couple of days and it was tough, but it was, it was so much fun after like, it was like, not, I don't want to say when it was done, like it was the best thing ever, but like, like after you look back on it, like what an experience. It really was. Yeah. I mean, for, it altered my way of thinking and, you know, the team environment of what I got out of it, but I fucked it. I hate it. I remember like, every, I, like we'd do it and then I'd already like be pissed off. They had to do it next year. But for me, like I got, I've said a couple of times, like there's guys on the team that just like, 
take on new leadership roles that you can see Crazy, right? break out of their shell. So that is like a lasting impact on them. I believe. Right. A hundred percent. And I think too, like when you're physically exhausted and you can't move, you have to think and you can't. And then when you're too tired to think, you can't think you just do, you know? You so like, yeah. like, like, you know, when people are like, Oh my God, I just blocked out. I don't even know what happened. Like, I just like, it just happened. Right. Like that's really what happened. I remember like doing that. And that was like, like Matt Cronin was a guy that just completely took on like another realm. He was confident. He was loud and he was direct and like, was not phased by anything. Like Craig Wizermersky was another guy who did really well. Aaron Titcom was a guy who did really well in that environment brian christie was the exact same way and a beaner cop and like i like it was cool to see and at that point like you want to talk about just trying to survive like you're like okay like i'm i'm a little freshman here like get me through this like kind of thing so you're leaning on guys and yeah it was cool i remember i did something actually like i went to a development camp in ottawa and we worked with um oh gosh i i want to say it was it, it it was like it was canadian military for sure and i don't know exactly what these guys titles were but we were basically like in the locker room at like the Canadian tire center. And, um, we, they put us through like this exercise that like, we were all like, they would like take guys like couple by couple. And they like put like, a, like a bag over your head that you couldn't see. Yeah. And there's like the, the, like the sound system in the rink is blaring. And like, you're hearing like all sorts of things like from like, uh, like machine gun stuff. And then they like would switch it to like heavy metal music, like just like straight guitar solos and screaming and stuff like that. And it was, it was weird and it was just like natural instincts. What am I going to do? Guys just like literally they, they spread us all apart and people, you like, they like took all the bags off and everyone had moved like right to the middle. And like, they were talking, we were like, okay, like what were some things that you just naturally did? And you're like, okay, like I, I like reached for something and I felt a guy and then we both moved closer and then we'd reach for another guy. And so it's like how like human touch is comforting in times of stress. And so that's like the whole, like, actually lean on me isn't is like actually lean on me and feel better like it's we're gonna get through it kind of thing and that was awesome like i learned so much from that it was unreal it's like that sense of security right because then you know that at least at least someone else or something can help yeah exactly fight back with me so 100 percent, and that's what the program was too right like yeah. it, it's like okay the, everything we're doing is physically demanding it is mentally demanding but like you're not alone on the beach. You're not alone in the pool. You're not alone in the gym. You're not alone on the trail, like anything like that. Like you have like a group of guys and they show you to think different ways and stuff like that. So like, I have a lot of respect for like what those guys do and what they put guys through too. Um, Eric Kabatulik is the head guy. Um, I would definitely look into it. Anybody who's listening to this because the way it got started is, is a remarkable story. Um, But Eric, but Cap's a man. He's, impressive man um they they're awesome people and you know i you just feel privileged to be around those types of guys and girls for sure he's one of those guys too i imagine with your experience like he would show up throughout the season too to all the games if he could right so it's like a constant message of he was in and out um you know after i didn't really see him um actually i shouldn't say that so every so every single year at the beginning of the year like we like obviously use them as a team and then they like the school brought them in for like freshman orientation and that was and they again they do like not what we would do but like fun stuff to like get people Tony out Robbins, yeah. 
yeah, to meet meet people kind of thing. So like, yeah. um, so that was cool. And they'd always ask the hockey guys to help out. So they'd take they basically you'd like you'd help for um uh, you know help for the day, and then uh, you know that was another way to get you know with them probably like a week and a half before you're gonna go through the ringer with them kind of thing. And so. Yeah. Uh, he would come a couple times during the year, and then obviously when Coach D uh, was let go, he didn't come during the season, but he was there at the beginning. Um, we stayed in touch and stuff, and he's a great guy to bounce stuff off of. Hell yeah, and prepared you for that transition like you just mentioned. So let's get into that, man, because I remember just that was like breaking news in my mind. I was like, what do you mean yeah. they just lost to BC, like number one team in the country, or top five at least, and played and battled them hard, and then all of a sudden gassed them. It's like – what you know, not like to get into like you know pointing fingers or anything, but like as a team, that's Dennehy's team, and having a new coach come in without having to recruit these guys, like how do you, as the leader, take these this team and kind of mold them together? And you know, we do have new leadership guys, and this is kind of what the next step forward here. Yeah, it was, it was super interesting to say the least, and like I was, I'm beyond fortunate because I had the exact same relationship with. Mark Dennehy is I did with Scott Bork. Um, So I'm extremely close to both people and that, you know, happened over time and stuff like that. But like the initial shock was just that, like, yeah, I'm the same boat as you. I thought it was like his job to walk away from forever. He'd been there for so long and different things. And um, I think from us, from a perspective of that is we didn't win enough and we let him down in that way. And so there's a lot of ownership on the players, Um, but it was raw. Like we, I think, you know, some guys said that they, I, I remember le- like going out and doing a cool down after we lost and like seeing the athletic director and coach Jenny talk and I didn't think it was anything. Um, apparently he had told, you know, the other coaches on the bus um, what happened and like somebody heard it and like, but no one really knew for sure. And like, again, it's the last night of the season. So like we went out that night and then we got a text in the morning. And it was like, Hey, we have a team meeting at like nine 30. Like, oh, what? like what's this about? And then guys were speculating and somebody brought it up. I'm like, no, there's no way. And then, came in, told us the truth. The athletic director told us the truth and it was just us. And it was weird because we had the class before us or before me, but there was like eight guys that were really important guys to our team. So it was going to be a fresh team. And we like, didn't really have like set leadership by any means. And we never really do. It's just kind of like, you know, beginning of your senior year, like they, things usually just pan itself out. And so when we talked as a class, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we kept the guys together. So that was, we were doing everything together for a full week and then everyone went on spring break and could do whatever they want. And then we were back in the gym. Um, and so we met as, as a class with the athletic director, um, like the next day. And we were just like, okay, like what's the rules? We need to know all the rules of guys leave, guys get caught, transfer rules, what happens to scholarships, like everything like that, because we'd literally just watched it happen with UMass. Like, uh, Greg Carl is a great coach. They have a great program now. They they came in and guys got cut. And so we didn't know if that was going to happen to anybody. One, like of us, we figured it'd be a full year before anything happened or anything like that. But we want to have all the information for guys so that they can make the, an executive decision for them that was going to make the most sense. Yeah. And we weren't going to – we wanted to have all the information, do everything right. And then we met with Coach Kamal, who it was extremely vital to our success, but what can we do to keep the guys together and stuff like that. Um, a really good thing that happened was Curtis Carr stayed on board through the transition and then for the full year. So he was a year for a lot of guys to lean on, but it was full. It it was, it it was great for some guys and it it was tough for other guys. So a lot of guys that were really close with coach D whether that meant like they had a really good relationship with him or he put them on the ice a lot. were like, darn, I have to earn somebody's trust again. 
And then there's the guys who are like sitting in the stands um, who hate the guy's guts because, you know, he's making decisions on whether they can, whether or not they get to do what they love, who think I get a fresh start. This is exactly what I mean. I'm going to play all the time. And it was full trial mode. Like we worked out full trial mode. Like, and like they didn't like, we had the interview process. People would come in. We had two candidates like in front of us, like we were going to have a third, something happened, but we got to meet two people and guys got to ask questions and guys got to, you know, talk. And the athletic director was, you know, had wanted opinions on certain things. And then uh, they made a decision on coach Boric and, you know, he presented to us. A lot of the guys liked him, uh, thought that, you know, he was fresh. He was a little different than coach D. Um, we were going to work hard. Like that was always going to be like a, you know, a thing, no matter who was going to coach, but it was just, it was different. A lot of guys got a good feel on it. And, um, you know, we reported that back to him. Um, and we kind of got a call saying like, yeah, this is what's, you know, this is going to happen. Like, don't tell anybody yet, but this is what's going to happen. And, you know, he got introduced and, you know, did a really good job of, uh, you know, vetting everybody individually. There was no, he's purposely said he wasn't going to watch any film. He's just going to full trial mode. And we went through the absolute ringer in September. It was full on 30 guys training camp. No one knew where they stood at all. Like, and that was, like it's good and bad, but like you find out a lot about people. Right. And I think, um, like I joke around all the time. Like I didn't know the guy liked me like until like a week before I had a one-on-one with him, and we just got talking and we talked about different things. And I was, you know, I'm a big believer that people of authority want you to not talk to them. Like they're people of authority and they're, you know, you're afraid of them, but they want to, they want you to talk to them with confidence on an equal level. And so that doesn't matter if, you know, like Scott Bork wanted me to talk to him like a man. And I wanted him to talk to me like a man. Um, my boss right now, she's she's phenomenal at what she does, but she doesn't want me to tiptoe around her. She wants me to, you know, tell her the truth. If she asks for my opinion, I'll give it to her. Like, that's what people, that's what, you know, like people have to learn. I think not to avoid confrontation, but to, you know, have the right tone and the right frame of mind of certain things when you're talking about them. And I think that's a good thing that Coach, uh, Coach Bork and I had. Um, so we got to talking and then um, – literally like a week later I was named captain and I was completely blown away. I had, I couldn't, I thought it was honestly, I thought I was going to go to my roommate. Like I thought he was the guy for sure. And uh, we had a great leadership group and I, I really thought, and what I tried to emphasize and was, it wasn't me and three assistant captains. It was the four of us working together. And I thought we did a really good job on, you know, being bipartisan with our teammates and, you know, some guys would connect better with other guys. I, if I wanted to get a point across to somebody, there was probably somebody who could connect that point across better. But if it was me, I would talk to them. If it was somebody on the back end, you know, who connected with you know, somebody, they would talk to them. Certain guys would probably t- sick and tired of hearing from me, so they talked to another guy. Like that's, but that's how we worked, and it, it it really worked, and we were a really good group that way. So it was awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like you must have, looking back now, learned a lot about yourself in that instance too. And you make a great point about being able to communicate with someone on an equal level, so you can clearly communicate and articulate what you want to say. Yeah. Uh, so, and then he can see that as you're know, a mature guy and that's what you're being able to present to him. So you'd be able to have that kind of same impact throughout the team. So, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that about just your overall um, personal growth in that moment? Yeah, it, it was interesting. Right. And I think, again, you don't really know anything until like after you've gone through it. Right. But like, you know, you can think back on, back on different things. Like I had been a captain my whole life um, with a bunch of different things, but I never dealt with anything of that magnitude. Um, you know, that's ultra shock. No one I'd ever played for got fired while I was still a part of it. Um, you know, you have 
that going on. And then a lot of guys are asking you questions and you don't have answers. And it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up. I remember like, you know, my girlfriend now, we were starting to hang around at the time. And like, I like called her, I was like, can I just like talk like to you? Like, but that's, but like I was driving myself insane. And so I talked to her and instantly felt better, but that's like what people need. And that's like, you know, there's a global pandemic going on right now. Like if you don't see people and you don't interact, like you, that's like, you're going to drive yourself like crazy, but like your mental health is going to go. And so that was a huge step for me is once I talked to somebody who had been through a college coach getting fired, talked about their experience. And then what was the research? Talk to the athletic director, talk to every single team who, and people on those teams who had been through coaching changes. There was multiple. Um, we had, I'm pretty sure like women's lacrosse, women's field hockey. Um, I want to say there was one more, but I, I, we talked to a bunch of different people and like talked about their experiences. And then the goal was not, you know, to be named captain. It wasn't to like play pro. It was like, okay, what can I do to help my guys yeah. like stay together and be ready to like, we'll have one year together. And unfortunately a lot of guys got cut and that just means I didn't do my job good enough, which we didn't win enough games. And like my whole goal was to make sure that it, the whole team got to stay together. And that wasn't the reality. Um, and that was something that, you know, I prided myself on trying to make sure that didn't happen. Um, but it, it showed you a lot about yourself for sure. Like you talk about like different things you have with the program, like, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't thinking it wasn't, you know, it was just doing, you know? So I think some things just came natural and some things like, again, if you, if you screw up on it, yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing for me. And there's sometimes of course over the course of my career where I crossed the line with a teammate and just instantly apologized like the next yeah. day or in good time, because that's what you have to do and they'll get over it. And then, um, you know, if it comes from a place of love, they, that's all they know, you know, and that's all they'll care about. And so for me, like that's, you fall back on your pillars, you do everything, try to do everything right. And the goal is to, you know, be the best version of yourself. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of that leadership group. Fuck yeah. I mean, that sounds great, man. Like uh, Scott Bork, he, he has to do his job too, right? So if he sees oh, yeah. some some parts to move around, like he's, you know, has to make that that sacrifice. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, put some people in that situation. But yeah, at the end of the day, he's running the team at that point, right? So Yeah, 100%. And he, you know, he's just trying to win. And no different than a lot of it gets misconstrued. Like, you know, he's, he's trying to win games. You know, he puts people who he thinks going to succeed on the ice at a certain time. He puts people in the lineup that he thinks going to succeed. Uh, my, my senior year, um, there, there was a new rule that you could dress an extra guy, an extra D or an extra forward. So some nights there was 12 and seven or 13 and six. And that extra guy usually like came down to who was going to be the best teammate. Cause they probably weren't going to get a, like a huge opportunity. So who was going to be able to sit in the middle of the bench, have a shift like one or two every period and just like be a good guy. Yeah. And those were things that he would look at and different things he would see. And I thought that part was very interesting um, for sure. And I think I'm happy to say that we both learned a lot from each other. Yeah. Um, and I told him early on, I said, listen, like I had a great relationship with the last guy, uh, but like, this is your team now. And my goal is that we, I can have that same relationship with you. So I'm going to work at it. I'm going to do everything I can. These are my pillars. This is what I'm going to do every day. You're going to lean on me. This is what I'm good at. I know exactly who I am. And right there, just confidence, right? But I was confident enough. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, for lack of better terms, bullshitting the guy. I was just telling. So, and over time, 
I was the type of player that you got to the longer I was around, the more, the more you're going to like me just because you're that old dog. That's reliable. Right. Like, and that's, <laughs> exactly. that's how I live, man. So thriving that. Yeah. You know, and like you said too, with uh, Kamal and uh, Curtis Carr, like two guys that were kind of, you know, with you guys in those trenches and I, they're probably the, well, Kamal has got to be a tenured employee there now or, yeah, he's, you know, yeah, he's a phenomenal guy. Yeah. I, Coach K was instrumental to who I am as a human now. Both guys were. Coach K, you know, put us through so much adversity, like physically demanding things that, you know, you have to as a strength coach and challenge us mentally and like the ways we thought. But it was interesting because after every single lift, I knew that I would be able to walk into his office and talk to him for an hour about yeah. anything. And it always turned into a deep conversation for whatever reason. But if I needed a quick answer, he gave it to me. If I needed to talk, he was there. And so that's something I really thrived on our relationship. Um, and we got really, really close. He's really close to a lot of guys. Um, and Curtis Carr was the same way. Kurt, um, I got to really get close with his family. He's got a, you know, a great little crew. They got four kids. Um, he's doing awesome at Bowling Green. Him and I still talk all the time. Yeah. Um, but he's – He's one of the guys like that, you know, like literally if it wasn't for him, I, we, we wouldn't be talking right now. Like I wouldn't have gone to Merrimack and, uh, yeah. you know, I'm thankful for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's those guys you got to give credit to, right? Like to call it the farm team, but those guys are the ones that really prop, prop people up and make you just a better person overall. So that's awesome here, for sure. So I guess kind of wrap things up here. Now you're back in Boston. What's on the horizon for you in terms of, you know, obviously you're in a great industry right now and probably meet, well, it's tough to meet a lot of people face to face, but you know what you're doing and that the products that you guys are selling is something that is going to be a, a huge industry here in the next few years. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's very interesting because it's, I feel like a lot of guys get into business or like from our hockey program and maybe people in general, I'm just making an assumption, but usually a lot of guys from our team got into business because they didn't really know what they wanted to do because it's so broad. Right. And so there's no degree in sales. Like you can't yeah. get a you know, sales degree. That's just the, they don't, they don't offer it. And so for me, like, I, I spent that whole time from my retirement to getting a job vetting people. I talked to 66 people, whether that was through an interview uh, for a job or actually like just interviewing people about what they did. Um, and so I talked to people in venture capitalism, sales and medical sales and finance and wealth management, like different things and tried to try to figure out what their day-to-day -day life wasn't what I really enjoyed and what I thought I'd be successful and something that I could get up and, you know, have that next competitive challenge and stuff like that. And so once I kind of honed in on sales, um, I thought I had the personality for it and stuff, uh, you know, what did I want to sell? Was that medical devices? Was that, um, software? And, um, you know, one thing led to another, uh, Silicon experts, the company I work for right now, and we're a data intelligence software. We're basically selling the data, information on electromechanical components um so we have a database that's got over a billion uh component information and uh, or information on a billion components and over fifteen thousand suppliers and stuff so we reach out to companies who have who make uh you know any product that has like a board multiple component and other things as well so for think about if you open up your iphone and you saw like the green little chip thing yeah. that's a circuit board so everything that goes on that and so everything that goes into one product, that's called a bill of materials. So yep. you would vet that to make sure that no parts are risky parts, obsolescent, counterfeit, anything like that. And we have that information. So by doing that, you can avoid obsolescence, which is a part that no longer will, uh, like doesn't work anymore. And you, 
we had, like I talked to a guy the other day, and um, they were talking about how they had one obsolescent part. They had to shut the whole company down from production for four months and they lost a hundred grand. Yeah. So like so, that's, but that's, so you're, you're, it's, and that's business to business sales, right? It's not yeah. like, it's not a, a need, but it's a really nice to have. And then what we feel like is that once you have it, it's a need because you can't, you can't live without it. And so that's what we pride ourselves on and having all that information um, and stuff like that. So my job is to, uh, you know, find business. Uh, yeah. they, my, my quote unquote term is I'm a hunter uh, yeah. for our team. So uh, my field is completely industrial, uh, the vertical that way. So I do uh, industrial engineering, agriculture, telecommunications, robotics is kind of my thing right now. Hell yeah. It sounds awesome. I mean, that's the kind of shit that, like you said, sales is, if you know what you're doing and know what you're selling, it's an awesome competitive environment that you can get back into. Yeah. And it's funny too, because like everyone you talk to, like sales is an absolute grind and it's this, this job has been completely different than anything I've ever done before. But like the ability to go through adversity that you have in your life, like that is, you know, that's something that, you know, will help you in any field, but like sales specifically, like if, if you call a hundred people and five say, okay, like you're the greatest salesman in the world. (laughs) And everyone thinks that their product is the best thing in the world, but like you have, Convince it, and so like it, so. There's inbound sales, which is like somebody literally like raises their hand. You go over to them, they're like, "Hey, I'm interested." And yeah, and there's outbound sales where you like I could call you. You have no idea who I am, and I'm supposed to sell you something over the phone or over an email. And whether they have to look at it, they have to get you know. So it's it's hard, and you you do it every single day. And there's highs and lows. And when you when you get a deal, you're like the highest of highs. Like you're ready to conquer the world, and it's it's you get, uh, you get a lot of juice from it and stuff and you just want to, you know, you think you can get the next one. And that's the cool thing about it. And we have a really good organization. We have a great sales org. Everybody helps each other out. Um, with, you know, especially being the new guy, they, you know, it's, there's a lot of questions they have and they're happy to answer and, uh, include you on different things as well. So it's been really good for me so far. For sure. It's across a broad amount of industries too, right? So it's not just one specific yeah. thing, which is probably awesome. You learned a bunch about things about other industries that can be applied to, you know, different industries. Oh, as well. I, would, I would have never like, if, if you would have talked to like 15 year old me, so that's like 10, 11 years ago, like, and said, Hey, this is what you're going to be doing. And this is what you're going to be selling. Like, I'd be like, you sure? Yeah. Like, and you're, you're going to like it a little bit. No, exactly. But like, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like all the things that you can like create profit off of, like oh, yeah. all, if, things that are actually business that do like really well, like you would have never thought of that, like however many years ago or different things like that. And software is a big one. Like, uh, yeah. so I, I, it's, it's, it's great. Um, you know, I think you can, you can have success in it. If you do the right things, you have to, you know, stay persistent on a bunch of things and you're going to have, you know, good days and bad days. And that's, you know, the beauty of it. So, um, I think a lot like hockey, right? Like there's, you just, life's all about reacting. Like, you know, you have a game plan and you know, the other team has a game plan and sometimes the hockey games can break out. And so that's, yeah. you know, you have, you have a plan on your sales call and then sometimes a sale call is going to break out. You just got to, you know, go with it. And I think that's something that served me well thus far. And I'm looking forward to kind of, you know, serving me well moving forward. Absolutely. So where are you living in Boston? Are you in the city? Yeah, well, a little bit. So uh, it depends on the locals don't call it the city, but, uh, and, and rent's expensive here. It's kind of like living oh, in downtown. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I live on, in North Cambridge. Um, North Cambridge. So yeah. I'm like right on the line of 
Uh, I'm a half mile into Somerville and Arlington is right there too. I think Flanny lives like really close to me. I Does just he? actually, yeah. Cause he was one of the guys I talked to cause he's uh Med- he's medical working. sales. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's in pharmaceuticals or something right now. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so him and I, uh, yeah, once it's, it's hard to right? like you, you can't see anybody and, um, you know, you're trying to be safe and you're, you're thinking about your own people and then you're also thinking about their people. So it's, yeah. you know, once everyone gets vaccinated and, you know, the world starts to reopen up again, like people start seeing each other and, you know, it'll, it'll be a good thing. And, you know, if, if you can make it through this, like, oh, yeah. man, you know, everything's going to be okay. You can do anything. Absolutely. Well, so it sounds great. Like sounds like things are going great for you. I'm, you know, I'm glad and proud that another Merrimack College alum had a gr- great experience there and is now taking on a new role outside of uh, athletics. So it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know it's interesting, and that's something I learned from you know kind of being around my dad and being around like you know athletes and stuff, especially like you're given you're given a certain amount of time, um, you know, doing what you love, right? And then it's like. I, I'm, I was a hockey player, but it wasn't who I was, who I was. It was what I did, you know? And so like, if your best memories are going to end at 25 or if you're a professional athlete and you know, some, some guys get to play at 40 and like the best times of your life are at 40, like that's a lot of life to live after. Right. So you have to find the next thing, you know, you know, different things that like make you happy and make you want to, you know, be adventurous and try different things and stretch out your comfort zone. So that's, is that having a hobby? Is that finding a different passion? Is it, you know, there, like there's never, it's never too late to make a career pivot. You know, like there's nothing, like nothing should stop you. Nothing should scare you from doing, you know, what's going to make you happy. Um, and I think something I've tried to pride myself on is the fact that, you know, like I'm, I, I work too hard to not be successful at something or at anything and that I'm too smart to not, enjoy what I do. Exactly. Uh, so I think if you can, you know, have that mindset every single day, um, then you're going to find exactly what you like and exactly what you don't. And the other thing too, is that people are when they do stuff they're not good at. So if, if you're not liking it, you know, there's, there's a chance that you're, you're probably not as good as you'd like to be at it. But if you find something that you're good at and you like doing, then like, you know, that can turn into, you know, a passion or a career, or a lifestyle and whatever you want. And so I think that's, you know, that's a great thing that you can get going for sure. Great advice. I'm, I'm glad uh, you're able to impart that on us. Cause I, I, I learned a lot from you too. I, and again, growing up I, with your, actually I was going to ask you too. Uh, so, I mean, growing up in Lethbridge, obviously the uh, university of Lethbridge is a big, big thing. And all my gym teachers played for your dad when they won the national championship. Yeah. That, that's how we met Sheener. So, uh, so I was, I was at a game and I, I was been alumni week in her homecoming or something like yeah. that. And I, I was like at my stall and I hadn't even turned the lights on. And then this guy came up behind me, he's like scared the heck out of me. And he was like, Hey man, I'm yeah. like, I'm really, all your, all like all my gym teachers played for your dad. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that's awesome. So, uh, but yeah, no, like honestly, and I was thinking about this too. Like, I don't know if I've actually like stopped in Lethbridge. No, like at, no. And it's, it's a shame. Um, but like that was, so I was born the year after, um, okay. when we were in Spokane. And so, Maybe it makes sense, uh, yeah. But like, like I, I've seen all the pictures. I've heard all the stories. I've read all the articles. Um, it, to this day, he still says it's the best work he's ever done um, for, with the team. So um, I actually heard – are they shutting the program down? Did I yeah, hear that? shut it down. But it, get this, it is. this is the reason why. It's because 
Lethbridge has a great like educational program, research program. So no one's no alumni is coming out of there making millions to give back to the hockey team. It's just like uh, teachers are like yeah. giving a little bit they can, right? So it's hard well, to recruit. Yeah back to anybody right and uh, you know you try to do you try to do the best you can um and it, it's a shame too and that's it's no different than you like you, you know you were on a team that you know was really really successful at Merrimack um yeah. more successful than any team I was on there like that's and that's the truth but like when you have success and you go through you have shared adversity with people like that brings you tighter and and closer and when you can look back on those memories like a lot of guys on your team are going to look back fonder on their memories at Merrimack because of that success than like some of the other teams that have been there for sure. And so that's no different than all the guys that played for my dad at Lethbridge. Like yeah, they yeah. went from shutting the program down to winning a national championship. And so that's why people care about it so much. And that's why okay. they like, yeah, the people like, like all your gym teachers, like tell them the, the stories about the glory days and why it's important. And so those are the people that, that like it hurts the most, you know? Oh, and yeah who are a part of it right now because they, they you know you always think that you got a winner doesn't matter how good or how bad you are you always think you got a chance and that's the beauty of humans right and so yeah. in sport in parody and stuff like that so i think that's that's tough to hear obviously my family has ties to that program so um it's tough but um, oh yeah decisions are made right yeah absolutely i mean fuck do your parents ever your folks ever get out to lethbridge i'm sure they know a few people still around there and another yeah. But, you know, just in the ties with Lethbridge and stuff, I think, um, you know, I, uh, my parents have tried to keep in contact with a lot of people. And when you, you bounce around over the years, it's, it's harder. But I don't think that um, – I don't think any place you've ever been is, um, you know, like I love pictures. I love memories and stuff like that. And they're ingrained in my mind and stuff. And so, like, I – like, those will always be memories for me. And I know that it, just for me, like, even, like, even a lot of my good – really good buddies like we don't have to talk every day but like yeah. you know you walk into a place and you pick up like you never left and i think that's something that my parents have been really good at and been really good at teaching me too is um you know you're allowed to grow apart but that doesn't mean it's going to make you feel any different about all the memories that you had and stuff like that too so i know for me like i'm always tied to lethbridge just because that's you know yeah. you you when you your family wins like you're a part of that so oh yeah I always say we like whenever my dad's coaching, like, cause the family's a part of the team and that's how it always is and stuff like that. And I think just for me, um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to go back, um, or go, I should say, yeah. I know my parents would probably love to too. It'd be nice if the border opened up, travel yeah, would be a little but again, right. With everything going on, you know, it's probably for the best. Uh, so again, once the wheels start turning on the world and everything gets going again, then, you know, hopefully it turns into, you know, get back to normal. Absolutely, a little North America trip. Because my brother had a baby. He lives in Boise, and he had him about two, almost coming up on two years now. It's like we were gonna, just about to go down, and they shut the border down. It's now we can't do anything. So it's, it's just right. a lot and of things up. Yeah, and that's the thing. You think about all the people, you know, like that were you know supposed to get married this summer. You know, they had yeah. big travel plans or things like that. And you think about people who are running, you know, their own business. And well, that's the thing, man, the financial situation. It's just like, I, and you, you don't see or hear of it because they don't report anything, but I know in the back of my mind that it is rampant and like, I don't well, know what the outcome's going to be. No, it's, it's really tough. And I, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. If you can get through this, it doesn't matter if you're a person or a business, like you can do anything. And yeah, I, resiliency. And I think a hundred percent. And you know, I, it's it's tough because like 
you and, and people are losing jobs all the time too and i think you know if you if you lose a job you know people who own a business feel like you can always go get a job and it's way harder than people give it credit for like i spent way longer than i thought getting a job but i also think too if you put your entire life and your savings and your down payments and everything into a business and to have that like pulled from you a little bit and you feel like it's completely out of your control and you're doing everything to survive like that's i i can't imagine the stress and oh, you know i'm i feel terrible for people and i feel terrible for for everybody i mean like we weren't made to be completely locked in our houses and doing different things right you know and there's so much there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world right now and i just think like I was really hoping that this pandemic was going to turn, you know, kind of give the world a wake up call to treat everybody better. And, you know, you know, really emphasize, you know, the important things and stuff like that. And, um, I just think, you know, once, once the world gets turning again, then things are going to look up. And, uh, I'm a, again, I'm a big believer. If you can, if you can get through this then the resiliency that you're going to have, like you can do whatever. For sure. And especially like a guy like yourself, be a part of the solution come out of this, right? It's like, you can do your part and make the world a better place and help those people that you can. So you're in a position to do that. And you know, that's kind of what to rebuild out of this. That's what it's going to, going to take. Exactly. And I think for every, for every high, there's a low for every like, like greatest day in the stock market's history, there's always a crash, you know, sure. and every time it goes down, it's always coming back up and it's just a matter of when. Right. And so I think if, and if you can position yourself to be in the best position possible when that happens you're going to be successful and it's hard it's really hard and i can't imagine the certain things that people are going through right now the stresses that they have um i'm i'm i don't i'm fortunate i don't have to feed a family you know yeah, like me I, too. I, I have to feed myself you know so like that's like like that's another added stress right and so the but in stresses too and this is no different than when you're when you're really really young and up until you know you're a hundred like a lot of things that were really stressful at the time aren't after when you've gone through it and you've gone over that, you know? So like things that stressed me out and what I was upset about and at 15 aren't that big a deal when I'm going through the same stuff at 20. And they, those things aren't that big a deal when I'm going at 25. And I think going through adversity and whether you like know it or not is really good for you. Uh, even if it's unwanted yeah. most of the time completely honest but you, you can get you know a little for lack of better terms like a little more battered a little like harder like mentally and stuff like that and i think there's certain things that you can you can do your you know if you can get through stuff then the next thing is going to be you know it's probably going to be equally as stressful but the thing before that if you have to go through it again it's not going to be stressful anymore and you know things get easier and that's what yeah. You no, know, I think if you can kind of keep the wheels turning on that too, like you're, you're in a good spot. And so if you got that growth mindset, you'll be fine. Absolutely. Well, Michael, again, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, uh, you know, it's been years and we had that one interaction, but I'm glad we could yeah. have that, this open kind of conversation. And, um, you know, again, I'm glad that to hear and see that you're doing well and coming out of Merrimack and, you know, Merrimack produced another, another great one. So. Well, I appreciate that, man. No, it was my pleasure. Um, you know, I followed along with what you guys are doing on this podcast and it's great stuff. And I think it's cool how you touch on different things. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the next episode.